This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. And welcome, everybody, to Journey of Greatness. Journey to Greatness. To Greatness. Number three. Um, thank you so much for all of you who are joining us here. Those of you who are joining us on Zoom. Those of you, those of you who are joining us on Torah Anytime. Um, I want to just give another plug for this because it seems that it's uh, catching on. On nasanow.com, we have our sign up for the weekly emails or bi-weekly emails as well as a WhatsApp group, which Baruch Hashem is growing very, very nicely. Uh, so for those of you who have not yet signed up, feel free to do that. Um, as well as on Torah Anytime, you could just click follow and then you get notifications when this class gets posted on Torah Anytime. So one of those people who's like, like and subscribe, we're not going to do that. But if you'd like to be informed of future classes, this is a very good way to do it. Okay, let's jump right into it. So tonight I want to share with you four ideas. It's been a very long few weeks for me. So we're going to catch our breath for a second, and we're going to jump into four segments, which sort of piece together, um, I think, very beautifully into continuing our journey, um, you know, of greatness. There's a there's a, a, a topic, something that we talk about over here in Chavis Atamidim, which is really important, I think, from a not just individual perspective, but also when we look at I'll call it society, the way a lot of people in society um, address a certain I- issue. So one of the things that he says is that it's important to train children, and we said already that whenever we're talking about children, we're talking about ourselves, okay? So the secret in the room is that we're not here for other people. We're here for ourselves, okay? So nobody tell anybody, but the goal here is to work on ourselves as much as work on our future relationships, our future children, our future grandchildren. And one of the things that he says is that a child should be taught from a young age to ask a shayla, okay? So that's obviously important. But the key to asking the Shiloh is differentiating between the person who's being asked, the Paisik, the Rav, whatever you may have, and the person who ultimately asked the Shiloh in terms of differentiating between who has the ultimate Achrayas for implementing whatever was asked. For example, somebody goes ahead and asks the Shiloh on a chicken, is this chicken kosher, right? And the Rav gives the Psaq. So to a certain degree, the Rav gave the psak, so it's on his shoulders, that, that psak. But now the person goes home and circumstances changed in the house. And now the person goes home and realizes, oh, the way I asked the Shaila, I totally left out the fact that it wasn't a cup of milk, it was a carton of milk. And the fact that I, I worded it this way, maybe it wasn't, I'm not trying to make anybody OCD over here. But there's a certain understanding that at the end of the day, the implementation of whatever is being asked, the person who needs to implement it is that. I deal a lot with relationships, and I can't tell you how many times I tell people, like, don't forget at the end of the day, you're going home with your spouse, or you're going you're gonna to be the one walking down the aisle, or I'll tell this to parents very often, like, you're asking me a question for your daughter, she's the one who ultimately is going to be married to this person, she's going to be the one who's either going to suffer or hopefully not suffer. Whatever's going to happen here, the achrayas is on the person who's asking the question, of course, Klape Shmaya, as far as Hashem is concerned, we always have the idea that the Rav gave the Psaq, so there's a certain amount of guidance that's involved. But number one, the first concept, is that a person takes Achrayas for their own life. And to a very large degree, many people rely on school systems, parents, upbringing. We go ahead throughout our lives and we say to ourselves, well, 
what am I supposed to do when it comes to being angry, for example? Uh, this, is, this is what I saw in my house. Or what am I, how am I supposed to know how to be a good parent? Uh, this is, my parents are the ones that raised me. Or how am I supposed to know, like you hear people say this all the time, like, I, I don't know Hilcha Shabbos, my school didn't emphasize that, or I don't know anything about whatever, I didn't learn that. In, very nice. All the people that are in your life who were there, who were supposed to help you, were just there to help you. But at a certain point, it has to click in our minds that I have to help me. I have to learn this. I have to study this. I have to be in charge of my midos, my knowledge, where I'm going in my life, the direction, the decisions. You know, certain times I see people making decisions that are so poor and they say, but, but I, I asked a mentor and they told me that I should do this. I'm like, very nice you asked a mentor. I hear it. And, and of course, your mentor is probably amazing. But the end of the day, like you're living this life. You're suffering through what you're going through right now. You have to take the ultimate achrayis for what's going on. Nobody else will push you into therapy. Nobody else will sit through your therapy sessions. Nobody else will break yourself open. Nobody else will teach you Shabbos. You can't just plug in a USB and like download it and just know it. It, it, it takes a person to have real achrayis on taking achrayis. You have to take responsibility for taking responsibility within your life. Your spouse's mood to a degree in the beginning when you get married will affect your mood a lot. Even when somebody's dating or somebody's engaged. And then as you mature and, 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 and go along the relationship and everything grows, at a certain point you realize like, they're in a bad mood. They actually need me to not be in a bad mood now. They actually need to rely on me. There actually has to be an adult in the room. There actually has to be somebody who's not being pulled by somebody else. This balance, this independence, even within a dependent relationship, is not something which is second nature. Most people, they get caught up in the swing of things. Most people, there's, there's, there's election season. Everybody's like jumping on a certain bandwagon. Everyone's thinking whatever the media told you to think, whatever you're, whoever you're following or whatever, wherever the yeshiva world tells you that's, this guy's right and this guy's wrong. We get so excited. Like we put flags on our car. We put bumpers. We didn't necessarily stop and say like, did I like analyze this? Did I think about this? Did I discuss this? Did I take like bailus over my mind? Like, am I in charge of my brain or is somebody else in charge of my brain? The information that goes into my mind, like, am I the one who knows this or doesn't know this or weighs this or doesn't weigh this? I was recently talking to somebody about a certain, a certain topic, and this person said they have, like, a certain opinion. So I, I said, oh, let me share with you, you know, my opinion on this. And the person said, oh, that's a very unique perspective. I didn't hear this before. So I said, yeah, I was recently talking to my wife about it. So we got into a conversation about it, and I said to this guy, I said, I must have spent about 20 to 30 hours with my wife discussing this one point that we're bringing up over here. So that's how, again, that's our marriage. That's what we do, okay? We, we like, discuss th- certain things, like, to, like, understand it and get into the depths of it. And this guy was like, oh, I, I thought about this for, like, 20 or 30 seconds before I gave you my opinion. And I was like, okay, that, that's, that's fine, that's good, you know, but if you want to take like ownership over the information that's coming into your brain or going out of your mouth, it would be very wise if you actually like 
delved through it and took that responsibility as opposed to just saying like, oh, I saw this on a WhatsApp status or, you know, I saw this, this post online or I saw something in the news. Like all of a sudden you became like the world's expert on like gun control and like everything else that's like plaguing society. Like you figured it out because you saw a snippet or because you saw a TikTok or somebody who said something for nine seconds and there was like cute words under their mouth. You figured this all out. When you take responsibility for something, there's a real achrayas for that. You spend the time to delve into that and understand that. And then to articulate a position. And then say something over. And make it a part of your life. I was recently talking to somebody who was severely, severely abused when they were a child. And they struggled mightily for a number of decades. And then at a certain point, they pulled their life together. There was like this moment where they recognize that they have to make serious changes. They went through intensive, intensive therapy. And their life is like 180 degrees from where it was for a number of decades. So when I was talking to them, I asked them what that like moment was. What was this time that you realized that I'm not just struggling? And the person said something very profound. They said, my abuser is responsible for my past, but I'm responsible for my future. And they said, the minute they realize that, like... I'm the one who needs to make the decisions that are going to impact my life in the future. I can't keep going back there. It's just, I'm not saying it's an excuse. If somebody's struggling, obviously it's a legitimate struggle. But how often do we say, well, oh, that's how I grew up. So, okay, fine. So therefore your parents or your grandparents or whoever it is, like they have total shlita over your life. Everything in your life is because of them. At what point do we kick in with our own individuality and say, no, no, I have a responsibility here to do things a little bit different or a little bit better. Obviously, there's Messiah, and I'm not here to make, you know, say parents are not, of course, that's all a given. But the idea of taking bilas, of taking real responsibility for our lives, for the information, for our emotion, for our Yiddishkeit, for everything, that is super, super important. So that's concept number one. Concept number two is he talks about how many people go through their lives Looking at people who are, I'm not just going to say different than them, I'll say people who challenge them, or our own challenges, let's call it, and we tend to, I think most people do this, we tend to classify things that oppose us in very negative lights. And the reason we do this is because it it makes us feel good about our position, rather than actually needing to confront it head on. So how, how often does somebody do something or say something that you disagree with or they say something that's hurtful or harmful to you and you go, oh, she's crazy. Oh, she's always like this. Like, oh, they're always doing that. Oh, they're a little bit off. They're socially weird. Right? We, we do that a lot. And the reason I think that a lot of people do that is because it sort of diminishes that, that person's, um, the person who they are and what they're, what they're confronting us with and it makes us feel a lot better about like who we are. But... He says something here that's extremely profound, and, and I think it's, it's a journey for many people. I've spoken to many people who struggle with their children, and as parents, it's, it's a tremendous struggle. I'll say this in the 2022 um, new movement age, and then I'll explain to you m- my words. The 2022 new movement age is every year is a tzaddik, right? Every year is a big tzaddik. Right? That's, that's the concept. And, and what that means in reality is that the way he presents it is that every single Yid is a link from Avram Avinu to Mashiach. Every Yid. And somewhere, somehow, 
they fit into a puzzle. So when a person looks at their child or a person looks at their spouse, and again, we're here to talk about ourselves, so a person looks at themselves and go, oh, you know, they write them off a little bit or they look at them as being like, oh, this is a struggling person or they're not listening to me or my mother's not doing the things that I want or the way that I want it. What you're basically saying is, the way that I'm going to come to terms with this is I'm going to view this person almost as being negative, just going to be like straight up, like, you are negative. And the way that he presents it is you literally need to look at every single person as every yid's a big tzaddik. Every person is great, and every person is amazing, and every person has underneath them a tremendous amount of goodness and gold. Literally, they have gold inside of them. If you focus on that, and you look at it like, and it's very cliche to say this, but like, I'm mining for gold, or I'm taking away the dirt in order to like get to that gold, then your perspective on the person's opinions, their opposition to you, or, or anything in that realm will be framed completely different than if you just looked at them as being a nuisance or a struggle in your life. I spoke to somebody very, very recently who called me up about his relationship, which had a lot of, a lot of issues, let's call it. And they were saying, it was very interesting the way he put it. He said, let me first tell you about like the nugget of gold. Like, let me first tell you about the diamond. And they proceeded to tell me like amazing things about this person that they were dating or engaged, whatever the story was. Like painted it as if like this is the greatest person in the world. And he's like, now let me tell you about like all the rocks that lie between me and that diamond. And then he proceeded to talk about like mental health issues and like addictions, like all these problems, which were significant problems. And I was like, you're, you're painting it so beautifully because that means that when you're talking to that person, you're relating to them as, as, as gold. You're not yelling at them and going, go for help. What are you doing? You're crazy. You're not screaming. You're not yelling. You're literally viewing them for the amazingness that they are and who they are. And I was like, I really respect that because that means that your pathway to change with this person is, it, it just multiplied exponentially because when you're in a serious relationship and somebody comes at you and attacks you, the reaction almost always is to clam up. And the minute you put up that wall, you're very, you're very not prone to change. In order for somebody to be conducive to change, they have to view the environment as a very sterile environment. I like to equate it almost to like open heart surgery. If someone's going to do open heart surgery, the environment has to be sterile. You go into like an operating room, the place is like bleached. You could smell it. You know what I'm saying? It's freezing cold. There can't be one germ in the room. Okay, now we're in this environment. Now open me up. Now do what you got to do. But somebody feels like I'm being judged, I'm being watched, or something to that effect, it almost never works. And one of the keys to successfully changing is that you view other people in a positive light. And you convey to them that I, I, I love you, I care for you, you're amazing, you're incredible. And I think that this needs to be focused on so that we could become even more incredible. And that we could like remove these things that are between us. I think that the, the level beyond this, if we talk about ourselves is that very often people get down about themselves. And therefore, they, they write off that negative voice in their heads. Instead of saying to themselves like, oh, this is a legitimate thing that I have to work on, because some people lack that self-esteem to say to themselves like, I love me, I'm awesome, I'm incredible. 
and this is true. I really need to work on this. I really need to tackle tefillah. I really need to get rid of my phone. I really need to be a better daughter. I really need to be a better spouse. Instead of a person doing that, we often go, eh, that's, that's the Meshuggah. That's the town Meshuggah that's dancing around my mind. We write that off as if that person's totally crazy. But if we viewed ourselves as being amazing and having amazing qualities, like we have so much inside of us, then the chances of us actually making change and bringing about that change is so much bigger. And I think that one of the ways specifically that a person could and should be doing that is specifically by having role models in their life, which sort of present to them the better version of themselves or the thing which they themselves are trying to seek. Surrounding yourself by those people is extremely important. Brings me to the next part, which I think is really an offshoot of, of this part, which is he brings down a Pasuk in Mishle. And the Pasuk says, don't rebuke a fool because he's going to hate you. Rather, you should rebuke a smart person because he will love you. And he brings down from the Shla that the Shla says that this is the way to be giving Teichacha, to be giving rebuke. Is don't rebuke somebody by saying fool because then they will hate you. Rather, you should rebuke someone by saying, hey, Chacham, hey, you're so smart. Hey, I love you so much because then they will love you. And not only will they love you, they will accept what needs to change. This is a very profound statement. You know, when I was learning Barry Berkowitz, Berkowitz always had this line that thinking back, like after all these years, like I, I think this is maybe his strategy, but like in a, in a way that like it's not necessarily so overt, but it's, it's very clear. Berkowitz would always say, like, a person should say to themselves, I'm bigger than that. You say, I'm, I'm bigger than that. Like, oh, this and this and this? I'm bigger than that. Instead of, like, giving you direct muster, like, let's say he would talk about food and having a balance with food. He wouldn't say, like, don't be a chazer and don't eat like a grub. He would never talk like that. Our would say, like, you know, a person looks at food, like, yeah, you're bigger than that. You know, like, you don't walk around, like, just eating stuff. I'm saying you're bigger than that, right? He would, like, empower you to realize like who am I like I'm bigger than that because I'm bigger than that like of course I don't do that I'm not yelling at myself and saying like oh you're so fat and you know I'm saying like I'm not getting to that whole struggle I'm not wrestling with the eight Sahara I'm gonna lose I'm just I'm simply bigger than that I'm bigger than all these things I'm better than that not in a gaivetika way but like in a real way like that diamond that's like underneath I'm not gonna tell myself I'm a fool because then I'm gonna shut that own voice down Nobody wants to live their life as a struggle. We have enough stress in our life. The last thing we need is to lay in bed at night and go like, should I, should I, yeah, I should. It's like so hard to overcome those voices and to win. But when you turn to yourself, you're like, I'm just so much bigger than this. I'm saying like, what am I doing? That elevation, it works works very, very, it works in a profound way to bring about change. I want to share with you two stories. Um, One is a personal story and one is a much better story, okay? So when I, when I was in uh, ninth and 10th grade, I always like to say like those two years were not, not great years for me. I was in yeshiva in, in like physically I was in yeshiva, but like it wasn't like, I really wasn't learning anything. Like it really just wasn't. I was, I was, I don't want to call myself struggling, but like I was just like cruising along, just trying to stay out of trouble basically. Like, you know, I didn't know what was going on and. I blamed it on the whole world, my rebellion, my this and that. But like, reality just like wasn't, it just wasn't. In 11th grade, I had like a superstar Rebbe. And I always talk about how at the beginning of 11th grade, um, I met a friend of mine and I said to him, 
okay, forget Rebbeim. Like, let's stop blaming the world. Like, let's take Achrayas for our lives. Um, and then we sat down and we hit Baruch Hashem, had an amazing Rebbe. And, and that, that was the year that really, I would say, that was my ninth grade. It was, it was 11th grade, whatever. But I showed up to the party two years late. But that, that, was, that was, you know, my story. But specifically, I remember that I was in 10th grade. So it was already like a year and a half of just like showing up to school, basically being there for the basketball, you know, like that 45-minute break. That was like the highlight of my life. And, and, and that was it, you know. And I remember once there was an incident where somebody had done something pretty bad. And a few people were called into the Manala's office. And I was one of those people. Now, between me and you, and anyone who might be listening, I legitimately did not do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. I, I was totally innocent. But the people who were involved were people who I was friends with. And there were people who had done certain things wrong. I was called into his office when he sat me down. And he looked at me and he said, straight up, like, did you do this? Did you have any involvement in whatever happened here? And I said, no. And he, I remember he held my hands. Like, I could like, still feel him holding my hands. He held my hands and he said, I want to tell you something. He said, you're my Ruvain. My Ruvain would never have done this. And that was the end. he said, now you could leave. That was the whole meeting. It was like probably under a minute. And I remember leaving the office and being like, wow. There's, there's actually somebody that like looks at me and cares about me. Like I never would have believed that like a Menahel looks at me and is like, I'm his Reuven. Like, what does that mean? It means like, I'm, I'm not just a guy who's struggling. I'm not just a guy who's like, uh, like he knows my name. He knows who I am. I'm not just called into his office because I'm in trouble. Like he believes in me. Like, why don't I believe in me? Like, why am I just sitting here like, wasting away the time and the years like what is going on with my life i remember that like that moment that meeting as being such a pivotal meeting in my mind as like there's a huge shift over here instead of him saying like admit it you did it you must have you must know it was like nothing it was like did you like, were you involved no you you would never you're my ruling i i knew it i knew you wouldn't be involved and like that was it i was like that that boost that that gave me cannot put into words that's one, that's one story. Another story is that I recently heard a story of a father whose son was struggling tremendously, tremendously, tremendously. And he had, the father was an old school chenach approach. Okay, hamavin yavin. It wasn't, it's not necessarily, you know, yeah, you don't wake up with a chocolate next to your pillow and you sleep until 12 o'clock. Um, and for many years, his son was struggling and his father was also struggling. He was struggling in the house. The house was chaotic and there was so much going on. And at a certain point, he got guidance to switch his approach. And the father spoke about, after his father, after his son passed away, the father spoke about how the last 10 years were the only 10 years that he actually had with his son. And how he appreciated for the first time when he made this switch the fact that his nachas doesn't just only come from his son putting on tefillin or his son keeping Shabbos. It also comes from the fact that his son is his son. It also comes from the fact that his son gave him a hug. It also comes from the fact that he went on a hike with his son. Even though his son is smoking pot. Like it switched his brain from like, I'm looking for that 1% of that 1% of the nachas, that it's going to be exactly the way that I wanted it to be, and this is how I'm going to like enjoy my kid, and this is exactly how I'm going to like live my life with my child. And he, he spoke about like the appreciation that he had 10 years with his son, 
as opposed to like zero, zero years, he would have thrown it all away because his version of how he gets his son to change, which admittedly his son probably didn't make many changes in the area that he needed to change. But when you view a person in their totality, like who they are, every year it's a big tzaddik, I'm a big tzaddik, I have a lot of greatness, I have a lot of goodness, I'm a big person, then you relate to yourself, you relate to others in a, in a totally different mindset. That's concept number three. Concept number four is, I think, the, the shortest, but probably the hardest. And that is sort of bringing all of this together. And that is that there's many people who go through their lives and they do good. They do good things. Most of us, if you grew up in Yeshiva or Beis Yaakov, we've spoken about this in the past, you're programmed to sort of follow the rules and play, the, play by the game and do the things that they told you to do. In the beginning, it's a lot of obedience. You don't want to get into trouble. But for many of us, it just becomes second nature that we do it simply because we do it. But what he talks about is that a person, and we spoke about this a little bit last time after the share offline, I think we should talk about it now online, that a person should try as much as they could to not just do good, but to actually feel good and actually be good. Don't just go through the motions. A person should take anything that they're doing, take five minutes to actually make that thing real. I'm going to give you a few examples over here. Okay, On Shabbos, a person literally could take five minutes. It could be the beginning of Shabbos. It could be the middle of Shabbos. It could be the end of Shabbos. Take five minutes and view yourself as if you're on a date with Hashem. You and Hashem, and there's nothing else. There's no distractions. There's nothing else happening. It's like, hi Hashem, I'm here. You don't have to say it out loud. You don't have to be weird and talk to the mirror. But like literally like have a certain feeling. Like this is the day where like I could get to connect to Hashem. I get to connect to my Neshama. I get to think, I get to breathe, I get to appreciate this. As opposed to being like, you know, oh wow, it's day off I could finally sleep. Or, you know, it's a time to families also, it's all very important. And the food, everything's important. But the internalization that, like, it is Shabbos right now. And Shabbos is a time, we're going to hit a time where it's Yom Shekulei Shabbos, it's all Shabbos. What does that mean? It's just going to be us and Hashem. That relationship is just going to be us and Him living together for Nitzkis, for all eternity. If a person can't handle that, just sitting and being Nenem Yiziv a person can't just be in the moment for that moment, for those five minutes, how's a person going to do that forever? It's impossible. We have the opportunity to sort of live in Gan Eden every week for a full day. But most people don't. Most people like sort of, they're on the outside. They're sleeping. They're eating. They're, they're jogging. You see people jogging on Shabbos or riding at Nebuch. It's like, you're totally missing the boat. It's like, it's not an off day. It's an on day. You're, you're experiencing something. We spoke last time about infusing that emotion into it. Like you should infuse that emotion. If somebody's married, take a minute and like appreciate your spouse just simply for who they are. I'm in this moment. I appreciate my spouse. I see the diamond. I see the gold. I see their, not just their potential. Not like, oh, they could be something or they, they, they would be something. Don't celebrate that 1% that's actually selfish. You know, how often does a spouse write a note to the other spouse and they talk to them about how they're selfishly loving them, right? 
You guys will get there very soon. Okay? Your first notes that your chasanim will write to you. Nabuch, okay? Save it. Save it and show it to your grandchildren. Okay? What it's going to look like. You're like, I love the way you buy me food. I love the way you cook for me. I love the way you do the laundry. I love... He loves himself, right? He's just telling you that you're the one who happens to be doing it. If he writes you a note, by the way. Okay? <laughs> right? So... What, what is he saying? And he's saying, I love me. He's not saying, I love you. At a certain point, a person who turns to their spouse and says, I appreciate you for who you are. I, I, I love you for who you are. I'm like infatuated with the fact that you, you're mine. You're, you're mine. You know what I'm saying? A person could do the same thing with their children. Just like appreciate the fact that this is your son. Yes, he got a 40 on his spelling test. Yes, he, he broke something yesterday. Yes, all those, those things. But at the same time, this is your son. Like, live in the moment. Just live in the moment. Make it real. I'll tell you what happens when you do that. I'll, I'll give another couple of examples first. Tefillah is the same thing. Like, you know, we, like we say the words, Hashem like We say those words, like, we're done. Like, those words are like the opening of like, I'm standing here for a minute, like, before Hashem. You know what I'm saying? Before we daven, take a minute. Take a minute and just recognize like you're being aimed with the Malach Malchayam Lachem. Take a minute before you do anything and make it conscious and make it real. It's anything learning. Understand that you're not just learning, you're not just getting information. What you're doing when you're learning is that you're you're absorbing the ruts in Hashem. You're you're learning Gemara, you're hearing a shir, you're hearing a Ramban. It's not just information. You're digesting the ruts in Hashem. Imagine Moshe Rabbeinu would sit down in front of you and say, I have to tell you, I just came down from Shemayim, and I have to tell you what Hashem just told me. Right? You would absorb that information like, whoa, are you serious? That's what happened? For most of us, we hear of art, we're like, oh, that's so cute. Right? We're like, oh, it's such a geschmack of art. Yeah, it's such a geschmack of art. Like you're, you're digesting the ruts in Hashem. If we internalize that, it makes learning so much more impactful. When you do these things, it, it has longevity and it brings about change. Now it's not a vart. Now that vart means you need to do something different in your, in, in your life, in your week. You understand what I'm saying? Like, it, it changes things. I just heard last week, I just heard, I, I just saw the gra. The gra says that whenever it says in the title of the word pen versus ulai, what does pen mean? Maybe. What does ulai mean? Maybe. So the gra says, why does it sometimes say pen and sometimes it says ulai? So the Gras says that whenever it says ulai, it means that the person says maybe, but they want it to happen. Whenever it says pen, it means maybe, but they do not want it to happen. Okay? So what does that mean? He says, like Eliezer said to Avram, ulai maybe she won't want to go after me. So Rashi says, because he had a daughter and blah, blah, blah. So the Gras says, how did he know? He says, because he said ulai. Ulai means maybe she won't want to come. He was optimistic that she wouldn't want to come because he had an ulterior motive. But pen, Yaakov says, pen, maybe something bad will happen. He was like, oh, I hope it doesn't happen, right? Pen, maybe. They both mean maybe. If you look in the art scroll, I would imagine, I don't know, but I would imagine they both say maybe or perhaps. But no, the Gras says, no, they're totally different words, which means that when you're saying something, there's a motivation behind what you're saying. What is the motivation behind your saying? That's what the Gras is saying, right? That's not a vart. That's living life. That's like living life. Like when you're saying something, what is your real motivation? What are you really asking? Why are you asking this question? When you hear a Dvar Torah, you're not hearing a Dvar Torah. You're hearing the Dvar Hashem. If that's not how you view it, and you view it as a cute Vart, you're like, okay, cute. It's very cute. But like when you start to internalize it, 
You're like, you're in therapy. You're at your Shabbos table, but like, you're sitting there digesting like, whoa, motivation. Like, what is my motivation for asking this? Why am I saying this to my husband? Like, where were you? you? Why are you asking this? What do you want? What are you asking him? You want him to spend more time with you? Like, what are you really saying? What's behind your question? Everything that we do, if we just do it, if we're just doing good, there's a chance that at a certain point we'll stop doing good. You, you lose that feeling. You lose, you lose what's, what's really going on underneath. A person should not just do good. A person should feel good. Infuse it with excitement. And not just infuse it with excitement, but make it real. Make it real for five minutes. If it's something that's as short as five minutes, you don't have to do it for five minutes. You could do it for, for a minute or two. Anything you're doing, if you take it and make it a part of your bones, you feel it in your bones, then you actually can have longevity. You actually can change. You can bring about change in something in your life. If you beat yourself up, and you say, oh, I'm so stupid. I keep struggling with this. I keep falling with this. I keep saying I'm gonna. And you don't view yourself as being like, I'm bigger than this. I'm bigger than the struggle. I don't need to be making the struggle. I'm, I'm already 20, 30, 40, 50 years old. Why am I still struggling with this? What, what am I doing with my life? If you, if you view yourself as that, and you view yourself as being somebody who's able to bring about that change in a positive way, then oftentimes not only will you change, but it'll be something that actually sticks. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.